Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Welcome TTB community. I am Bob Demena, and here with me, as always, is the very smooth-tongued Elliot Chibley. Ooh, smooth-tongued. Thank you, Bob. I don't mean that like in, in a literal sense. Like I felt your tongue. I just don't. I, I don't know how you took it. I I took it as I speak eloquently. Yes, that's how I meant it. Yeah. I okay. I don't know what the surface of your tongue is actually like, but... I I don't know what it compares <laughs> to either. I know that cat's okay. tongues are rougher than dog's tongues. That is a good point, yeah. And if you're a first-time listener, uh, please... We apologize. Don't. Yeah, yeah, just just bear with us. So, so, what do we have going on? This week's Travel Bites is going to be a fairly short one. Not a lot happened in March, but there are some big things that we'll talk about. One of them being the scramble against time to free the ship in the Suez Canal. Mm. Then we'll get into some U.S. travel and reopening for international travel. We'll look at an Indonesian digital nomad visa, which could greatly expand what it means to be a digital nomad and work in Indonesia and specifically Bali. Then we'll talk about health officials that are monitoring uh, a few dozen people in the U.S. that have Ebola, not Corona, Ebola. We'll talk about how there are almost $10 billion or over $10 billion worth of airline credits sitting with other people around the country and around the world that haven't been able to travel and had to cancel their flights from last year. And then on the same page, there are potentially two new airlines opening up in the United States in the next month or so. And then the last two articles are going to be about the CDC vaccine card. And then a fun one, we're going to talk about some mind-blowing, not our words, travel facts that you thought were true. All right, Bob, what do we have behind the scenes? Yeah, very, very, very briefly. Uh, if you like this podcast, if you find us entertaining at all, please just consider giving us a, a five-star review on on iTunes. Well, you know what? Just give us whatever review you think we deserve. How about that? <laughs> um, if you'd love us, then consider subscribing. You can subscribe on, on through whatever podcast platform you're listening on. You could subscribe to YouTube where we upload full videos of every single conversation. And of course, we're on Instagram and Facebook where we upload pictures, video clips pertaining to each episode. So that's and honestly, if you if you want to engage with us about a particular episode or conversation, if you comment on Facebook or Instagram, we'll get to it and we'll talk with you uh, about whatever it is you have, um, whatever you brought up. So now we're going to do the travel tip of the week. Each week we do a new travel tip. Uh, this week's travel tip is credit cards. What there about credit a, cards? There's a credit card for every single traveler, whether you're a bi-weekly traveler uh, for business or you just do a, you know an annual vacation. I use the database, the Point Sky. If you go to that website, they really do a great job of breaking down individual travel credit cards. They give you all the perks. They have tables and you can you compare the two or you can, pair, you can compare multiple credit cards. I highly recommend it. In addition to the lump sum of points you get for meeting a specific spending uh, amount in a time frame. Yeah, the bonus. Also, yeah, so I have a credit card that you can continue to use them after that. And I have one that I use specifically for gas that I get travel points for. And I use one that I specifically use for grocery stores because I get double points for that. So each year you're spending this money and you're you're building that that sum and you could save some money when you finally get the booking travel. So And if you're yeah. not like Bob and you don't want to have multiple credit cards for multiple reasons, I have one that just is a fairly high percentage on everything. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not as high as, as specifics, but that way I don't have to keep track of everything. And it's more for a casual spender and someone who wants the points but doesn't want to spend the time tracking it. There is a card for everybody. And if you plan on traveling at all, I think it's worth checking out because you can save some money. Absolutely. And lastly, some of the things that we offer, we're almost ready to release a Traveler's Blueprint travel journal and planner. It should be available probably by the mid to end of April. It's going to be very cheap too. And it's going to essentially allow you to plug in all the information you have for your trip. Either paper or digital. Yeah, you can print it out and write it out or you can actually do it on your desktop. Um, I'm really excited for this because it essentially allows you to fill in pages of everything that we've preached over the years as it relates to travel planning and detailed itinerary building and all that stuff. So we're actually bringing something, uh, you know, tangible tangible yeah to uh to the table here with that yeah Yeah. and so in addition to that we have the video courses elliot and i spent a ton of time doing them it's five parts you can learn a ton if you purchase these courses from the navigation of a city booking airfare understanding restaurant blogs and research in that regard itinerary layouts getting information on on travel norms or you know local norms safety information provided by the security security information it's it's a five-part course and what is it? $25 right yep. now. So if you go to our website, you can purchase that. If you get that with the journal, I think you'll be pretty much set. So, uh, and then, and then lastly, we have a tour guide. If you're in our area and again, we live right outside of Philadelphia. Um, I'm in Jersey, Elliot's in PA. We're on, I'm on the East side and he's on the West, <laughs> but, uh, we, jets we, and the sharks. <laughs> we have a, a tour guide Keshler with Lake and tourism. He offers really great tours. And if you don't even, if you don't want to do the ones that we have listed, you can email him and he'll probably hook you up with something a little bit more specific. And, uh, yeah, he, he, he definitely check him out. He's, he's a really close friend of the show. Um, I think that's it for my rambling. Elliot, why don't you take the first article here? All right. So if you've been stuck under a rock, you may not know that there is a massive container ship stuck in the Suez Canal. And the speculation on what happened is that there was a sandstorm and the ship got somewhat off track. All it took was a little bit and it got beached and then turned and it blocked the entire canal and it's been blocked for several days. And if you're not familiar with the Suez Canal, it's between, it's in Egypt, it combines the Mediterranean Sea and the other sea that's just south of that, and I don't... The Suez, Suez Gulf or something, Suez Thank sea, you, Bob. Thank you. Like yeah. mm-hmm. My geography was lapsing there. Anyway, there is 12% of all global trade goes through the Suez Canal, and you can actually see images online of ships that were going to be going through, and then two days later, all of these ships backed up in the Mediterranean and the Suez, and it's, it's pretty fascinating. Um, it, it, it's so fascinating. It's fascinating that... So much trade and so many goods are now blocked and rely on that canal. Like, you know, I never heard of this canal. And now you never? No, I never not even in Not even in high school geography? No, I wouldn't remember high school geography. A lot of, okay. a lot of time has elapsed. But uh, <laughs> I, no, I didn't. I didn't. I'd never heard of it. And I found it incredibly interesting. I looked into it a little bit more. It was constructed in 1859. And uh, yeah, it's been in use ever since. Now they've expanded it and made it deeper and wider as ships have gotten bigger and and require more, have more weight. But yeah, it's such a vital waterway. And what's crazy is that, yeah, 12% of global trade, what does that mean? So that is $10 billion a day. That's being blocked right now. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Now, at the time of this recording, it has not been broken free. There's a few days between this episode and when it's actually going to be released. So maybe you're listening to this and it actually has been broken free. But at this time, they've tried tugboats. They're trying to dredge out the area. They cannot get this thing free. And boats are now starting to go south around Africa, which I was reading presents not only additional money, like hundreds of million dollars in, in fuel, there's like 4,000 miles more that these Absolutely. boats are now going to have to go through. And then you have the pirate issue of the Horn Somalia. Of yep. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> quite the predicament we're yes. in. Yes. Crazy yeah. times. Uh-huh. What's next, Bob? Uh, so the U.S. travel, U.S. travel as an entity, meaning like the, an accumulation of multiple travel groups, I think led by the U.S. Travel Association, have, op- have penned a letter to the Biden administration trying to figure out a way that they can work together to open up travel for the United States. As they quoted a, a risk-based data-driven roadmap to rescind inbound international travel restrictions. Right. Yeah, they made it very clear that they want to accommodate every restriction, every safety precaution associated with COVID-19, but they feel that they can safely start to open up. And they're hoping to do that by May 1st, which would be incredible. That's really right around the corner. That's another month away. So they noted that that 2020 international arrivals to the United States fell 62% from Mexico versus the previous year, 77% from Canada, and 81% from overseas markets for a total loss to the U.S. economy of $146 billion last year, which is wow. incredible. Like Most people are not thinking that the U.S. is losing money on tourism. Well, if you compare that to the Suez, that's only two weeks of the Suez being blocked. It's <laughs> amazing. So... The, we may see this happen. I don't think the Biden administration has responded. I don't think we've heard of anything yet. I haven't anyway. So if something's out there, please, uh, if you're listening to this and want to email it to us and bring it to our attention, please do. But Yeah. And I think an important factor in this is the Biden administration's previous goal of getting 100 million people vaccinated in the first 100 days is now bumped up to 200 million in the first 100 days. And being getting all of those people vaccinated, right, the U.S. population is 300 and 50 million, 328 million. So we'd have two thirds of the population vaccinated, which I think the first hundred is great, but I think the next hundred is going to be very difficult because there aren't, I don't know if there are that many people that are a want to get it, that are set to get it, that can get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, we're going to have to just play this one by year. I think there is light at the end of the tunnel, obviously. For sure. I feel it. We're getting vaccinated. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so I know cases are going up at the time of this recording. We're having, we're having a spike in cases and it probably will go up again. I remember early on, um, you know, you had people saying, like Fauci saying that there potentially is going to be four different waves of this thing. Now, the fourth wave is not going to be nearly as impactful as the first wave, of course, but we're going to see this slowly taper off. And I don't think it's necessarily, even if travel opens up, there's, there's still going to be so many precautions and things to deal with. Absolutely. Yeah, we're always going to be dealing with it in some form or another. It'll be like treating like the flu. Yeah. <laughs> so article number three is a short one. And if you are looking to travel, looking to work abroad, this one could be the one for you. If you've been to Bali, awesome. If you haven't been to Bali and you want to work and live in Bali, there is a new five-year visa that would enable digital nomads, foreigners to live and work in the country without a work permit. So they really want to revitalize their tourism industry, which got a $63 billion hit from the coronavirus pandemic. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And so before you had to get the work permit if you wanted to live there for an extended period of time. And now this would make it that much easier to stay for a long time. Even if you don't want to stay the full five years, you can at least stay for like one year, two years. Yeah. It's really nice. That's, that to me, if I was younger and singler, that's not a word, right? <laughs> and uh, That's just, a word. It's a word now. <laughs> I wasn't tied to a job and had a little bit more freedom and had the opportunity to be location independent and work anywhere in the world. Indonesia is somewhere I die out for sure. Yeah. Uh, Especially with the knowledge we have now. Yeah, absolutely. To to be there, I, I kind of love that. Not only Bali itself, but being able to jump to Australia and New Zealand to explore other countries in Southeast Asia. Southeast Asia, yeah, it's a great, great location and a great place to set up shop to travel out for you know maybe a week. Good or base camp. Time. Yeah, yep. exactly. So, all right. Uh, not to scare you, and do not be scared. But the U.S. is now uh, monitoring how many? A dozen? Uh, I think dozen, it was dozens. dozens. Of people. Yeah. For Ebola. So 23 is, in Washington, 45 in Ohio. And then four people in Oregon. Yeah. So there is a there is an Ebola outbreak being monitored by the CDC in Western Africa. And that's really where it is. Uh, Ebola is a scary one in that if you get it, you're pretty much dead, right? I think it's, it's got pretty, a 50% death rate. 50%? I thought it was higher, but oh yeah, I mean... But then on the other side of that, it doesn't transmit from person to person nearly as easily as, let's say, COVID or the flu. Yeah. It, it's harder to, to spread, but yeah, just something to consider. Um, there there have been know. several Ebola outbreaks over the past decade, and they they usually stop at around a few dozen, and doesn't seem like we've had horrible, horrible outbreaks. Anyone that gets it is, is it's, not, it's not good to get. It's not fun. No one should be... Everyone should be worried about getting it. Yeah. And so if you do travel to Western Africa, you there's what? There's like six different airports that you'd have to go through where they would be monitoring you that way in some, you know, in some way. So, yep. um, and you'd be monitored for three weeks. So consider that if you're planning on flying to Western Africa. Yeah. And any, any precautions you take with coronavirus should help with that. Mm-hmm. And so we mentioned this in the beginning, but travelers are sitting on more than $10 billion in airline credits around the world. And we're going to talk about what you can do with them and when they're supposed to expire. Yeah. And this article came to us from the points guy who who I mentioned in the beginning with the credit card points. This is, this is sort of their bread and butter and this is sort of how they made their platform. But they're estimating that 20 million vouchers worth more than a collective $10 billion were issued as a result of canceled trips in 2020, even as airlines also refunded billions of dollars in cash. So we have a huge amount of people now sitting on these these reserves and hoping what hoping that they can use them in the, in the near future. Now, the, th- the most important thing here is it's going to vary by airline. So mm-hmm. what... Southwest decides to do with your airline vouchers is going to be different from what Delta does and it's going to be different from what American does. So the most important thing you can do is seek out that information independently. We're not going to go through every airline and their potential plan, but uh, just a few. So like United Airlines, for example, is issuing travel certificates and future flight credits. So according to the airline credits issued for tickets, credits issued for tickets issued between May 1st, 2019 and March 31st, 2021 will be valid through March 31st, 2022. Tickets purchased April 1st, 2021 and later will be valid for 12 months from purchase. 
So I know yeah. you you had did you get credits or did you get cash for I, your Italy trip? I I used airline points to book it and I received them all back. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh we Amanda and I had two airlines that we two trips that we had to cancel and I think we got cash for one, a voucher for the other. And I have it in my calendar when they're set to expire and I have a notification to book a flight mm-hmm. <laughs> that month beforehand. Yeah. At least. Yeah, and that's a, that's a great idea, Elliot. If you have one of these credits, find out what their policy is. Find out when they're going to expire for sure, and just make make sure you use them before then. So, yeah, and definitely consider that. Speaking of airlines, even amid in the middle of this global pandemic, there are two new airlines opening up in probably the second quarter of this year. One of them is Avelo. And this is opening up and being started by the former president of Allegiant Airlines. It is going to be a smaller airline company, and it's going to be traveling to and from airports that are smaller and that had previously no direct connections. And that's going to be their niche, and that's how they're going to get into the market. And then the second airline is Breeze, and that will be based in Salt Lake City. It is, as the uh, one of the marketing people said, it's going to be very people-focused, I think a lot of people think of low budget. Both of these are low budget airlines and people think of like spirit and the cramped conditions and how is that going to affect the pandemic? And they are really going to try to move away from that, that perception of, you know, it's not focused on the people. It's going to, we're going to be sardines in these airplanes and they're trying to make the experience better. Um, To quote the article, they offer flexible booking, they allow for one free personal item, and they believe seating limitations will no longer be necessary when the airline launches. So they're all hopeful of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very cool. Pretty pretty neat. All right. Uh, Three things to know about your CDC vaccine. This is a big, this is a big article here. Yeah. So if you, if you've gotten your vaccine, I did get my vaccine and I have my vaccine card and it is a very precious document now. So what should you do with it? What I recommend you do with it uh, is take a picture of it and save it in your phone, email it to yourself, have a copy of it digitally somewhere saved to that you can rely on it. I I don't think it's being forced. You don't have to use it anywhere yet, but you may. uh, And you probably, you actually, you very likely will for travel. So make sure you have multiple copies of that and then keep the hard copy safe somewhere. I'm going to like a social security card, but don't keep pictures of that in your phone. Right, right. Yeah, and keep it wherever you keep your social security card, uh, maybe your passport, things like that, documents like that. Just make sure you have it. I'm going to laminate mine. And maybe you have a laminator? A I, I, I think my office might have one. Okay. I don't have one, no. All right. Some people that do crafts have them. <laughs> no, I don't have one. Uh, don't send me... You, you could just use packing cards. tape. <laughs> you could, you could. Um, so that's something that you need to do. So keep it safe. The next thing you want to keep it handy. So I don't know, again, I don't think you need to keep it handy right now, but if you want to travel, you likely will have to have it on hand moving forward. That being said, they are going to create a digital health vaccine passport. I know American Airlines and British Airways are introducing something called the Verifly, which is a mobile way to access your health information and be able to present that information so you can travel. Uh, 
and the, the article says that a digital health passport will host verified test and vaccine information. They are expected to be optional, but experts say they will be widely used in the travel industry and at large public gatherings, such as sporting events. So, I mean, if you went through the trouble and you have the vaccine and you made it through the pandemic, why not have this information available? Keep it handy. And then the last thing, did you want, did you want to add something? No, I was just going to talk about how to make sure that you keep it safe. And if you do lose it, make the, all all vaccines are recorded and are required to be reported within 72 hours of immunization. So there is likely a backup record of it somewhere, but still keep it as safe as possible. Like Bob said, he's going to laminate his and a lot of other people are as well, especially those that are traveling. And that's really it. Yeah. So if you lose your vaccine card, it's not the end of the world. You can still get this information. It's going to be available and you're going to be able to get it. If you have an iPhone or an Android, as I like to call off-brand phones, because I tease Elliot about his love for Android so often, um, <laughs> they you will be able to access that information and you probably won't really need the, the physical hard copy. So now for the fun part. So this is something, this is an article that I came across and it was titled Mind-Blowing Travel Facts You Thought Were True. There's 26 of them and we're not going to go through every one. There was just a few that I found pretty interesting that people may or may not know. And I think, Elliot, I'm going to test your knowledge on these things. Yeah, go ahead. And we'll see what you have. So All right. uh, the first one, does it snow in the Sahara Desert? Yes. So it does. It does. Most people probably don't think it does, and but and it is extremely rare. So the article says the near impossible has actually happened a few times. The first recorded snowfall was in 1979. The snowstorm lasted around half an hour. And most recently, it happened in 2018 when the desert was covered in a blanket of snow for almost a day before melting under the hot sun. So Interesting. It does. Yes. Next one. Does right. Egypt have the most pyramids? I'm going to say no. They don't. They don't. They're probably most known for their pyramids. Yeah. And if you think of pyramids, most people are going to immediately think they, of Egypt. They have the largest. Yes. They have At the least largest. still standing largest. But Sudan has the most pyramids in the world. so they're Not really... not what I was going to say. I thought it was going to be oh, like Cambodia or Mexico. I should have made you guess. So yeah. there are more than 220 pyramids, around twice as many in, in Egypt. As many, well, man, I just butchered that. Around twice as many as in Egypt, in okay. the Sundanese region of Nubia. Pretty, pretty interesting. All right, next one. Yeah, I like this. This is fun. Does San Francisco have the steepest streets in the world? I, I am going to say no, only because the United States has fairly strict regulations on roads, and some other countries <laughs> do not. Well, yeah, you are you are an architect, so I guess you'd be the one to know that to have that information. <laughs> uh, no, they're they're not the steepest. I'm going to say the steepest would be in China. That that is incorrect. Dang. I'm going to try again. Uh, Nepal. Uh, no, not Nepal. I'll give you a clue. Okay. Um, a clue. It's an island nation. It's an island nation. Yeah. So it would be Indonesia. The the, the current world's steepest streets record holder is Baldwin Street in, I want to butcher this, Dunedin, maybe? Dunedin, New Zealand. The street ah. lies at a gradient of 34.8% and rises from 90 feet above sea level at its bottom to 333 feet, 330 feet at its top. Wow. And just 
as a visual imagine so 33 percent is if you were to go three feet this way so put an arm's length right mm-hmm. and then go one foot up so it doesn't look too bad but for a car that's terrible most roads in the united states are under 10 percent wow wow <laughs> and this is at i think and i think in san francisco lombardi street might be at like 20 or 25 percent Huh. But that's only because it winds so much. If you were to go straight down, it's probably 33. Very, very interesting. Uh, you know what? Hold on one second here. I, I lost my lost my spot. Um, has has the Great Wall of China been seen from outer space? No. Uh, yes. Hold on. I'm just getting my spot back. I just Dang. It by accident. But um, it's a, it's a so the common belief is that that it's a fact. Wait, <laughs> it is not a fact. You cannot see the Great Wall of China from outer space. The if you zoom in with a big telescope. From outer space? Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess if you zoom in with a satellite. I mean, yeah. But so the fact was disproven by a Chinese astronaut, Yang Liwei, who confirmed in 2003 that the historic structure couldn't be seen from the International Space Station, let alone the moon. It is thought that because the wall follows the natural contour and colors of the surrounding landscape, it's impossible to see it with the naked eye. There you go. Yeah. So, uh, also, uh, Lombardi Street believe, is believed to have a 27% slope. 27%? Yep. Okay. Uh, how many time zones are there? 24? I don't think so. I thought there was only like 18. You are wrong. So the international date line complicates things. It so it doesn't run in an imaginary straight line. So there's not going to be 24. No, like it like carves out a section in the Pacific too. So th- there's 38. There's 38. 38. Time zones. Wow. Yeah, there's more. <laughs> yes. Yes. Wow. So there are currently 38 defined time zones, 24 standard time zones, plus 14 time offsets. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Wow. All right. What is the easternmost state in the United States? The easternmost? Yes. A state, not not like a territory? The easternmost state. Alaska. Oh, you're, you're too smart. You're too smart. You're right. That's it. So most people would probably say Maine. Did you do that on purpose or did you just like try to be smart ass? No, it is because it, yeah. it crosses the international dateline. Exactly. And that's it. So the westernmost point of the United States is an is in the outer Aleutian, Aleutian. Aleutian Islands, yep. located right between Russia and Alaska. So, just south of the Bering Strait. Yeah, it's only it's because the it's the most eastern point on the. Ah, uh, oh man, I'm gonna butcher this. Semi. So the it, islands, islands, um, <laughs> out in Alaska. In simple terms, this is the point. It's so far west that it's actually already in the east. This means okay. that the easternmost and westernmost points in the United States are only So is it is it a single States. island that is split by the international date line? Like could you go from one day to the next day? So it says crossing? this is only because the easternmost point in the United States, the easternmost point on the uninhabited semi Socochio ah, okay. Island in Alaska sits less than ten miles west of the one hundred and eighty degree meridian that separates the two hemispheres. Okay. That's it. Yeah. All right. Um, what's the next one here? Are England and the United Kingdom the same place? No. They're not. They're not. 
for some reason because the UK was, UK includes like Wales, England is like the southern portion of the island, right? Isn't there well, like yeah, essentially Scotland, yeah. Wales, in Northern up, Ireland? Yeah, growing up, I was always confused by this. But so England is just one country that makes up the United Kingdom. There's also Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland, Ireland, and the term Great Britain only refers to the island that contains England, Scotland, and Wales, hence, hence the country's full name, the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Interesting. Yeah. And the last one that right. we decided to pluck out, where's the Statue of Liberty located, Elliot? I know you know. The, the one in the United States, or? The one in the United States, where's it located? New York City? No, you didn't know this, huh? Uh-uh. It is not. It is not technically New York City. It is New Jersey. Oh. So it is a registered historic landmark to New York, but it sits in New Jersey waters. And that so seems New like York, a technicality. It is. So New York owns the statue, the monument, the historical park itself, but it sits in New Jersey waterways. Same with Ellis Island. So hmm. New York owns Ellis Island, but not the waterways surrounding it. Those are New Jersey waterways. Huh. And. For those of you who are familiar, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't realize, I guess because I live in New Jersey, so that's why I knew that. But um, for those of you unfamiliar with the geography, I mean, obviously, every I think everybody knows the Statue of Liberty. But if you come into the Statue of Liberty, you would, if you were an immigrant, you know, back in the day, you'd pass that and come into Ellis Island, which essentially registered every new migrant to the United States. Um, that one of my favorite scenes was in the Titanic when they finally get to New York City and you see Rose on the boat and she drives by and you have this looming massive Statue of Liberty and she that's where she gets. She gets goes to Ellis Island and that's how she got to the huh. United States. And uh, yeah, I, my family came from came through Ellis Island and stuff. So That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. Uh, the link to this article will be in our show notes. So if you want to look through all the other ones, again, there was 26 different ones. Um, go for it. Right all right. And this month, it is a short month, so we've got our Travel Bites. We've got Ray Blackney on creating a business that could allow you to become location independent, and he has created multiple businesses, some of them seven figures. And then we have Trevor Cole. We talk about photography with him. He's a connection that we got through Nicola Caustic. Love and this guy's work. Love really interesting. Work. Mm-hmm. And then the last episode of the month is another Travel Around table on becoming a digital nomad. And that was a fun one. And we get into a lot of specifics on what's best, what you can do, how to find work. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Really, really excited for all those conversations. So thank you for listening to the podcast. If you're listening to us to this and you want to help us in a non-financial way, the best way to do that is simply by liking, sharing, and subscribing. That just tells the social media algorithms that you like it and maybe other people would like it too. If you want to go a little bit above and beyond and donate at least or as a minimum. As a minimum of $1 per month, less than a cup of coffee per month, you can contribute that contribute that through our Patreon page and it would go directly into helping us produce and find guests and essentially, I mean, what was it, 20 to 24 hours per episode we dedicate to this? Yep. So if you want to contribute to that time and the software programs we use with as little as $1 a month, we would be forever grateful for that. Again, no matter what you choose to do, just thank you for being a fan. That's really what means the most to us. And we appreciate your support. Yeah, Uh, and continue to stay safe and stay healthy and tune in next week.